welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. Now covering The Emma Project by Sonali Dave. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. Keep up with us on TikTok, Instagram, and Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, everyone. It's so good to be back after taking the summer off. We wanted to give a very special hello to all of our brand new listeners out there. Yolanda and I were quoted in a CNN article titled, How to Adapt Jane Austen and Why It's So Hard to Get Right. We were so flattered to be reached out to and now we have some more listeners in case you don't know basically what we do here and and we're coming up on our sixth year anniversary of doing this podcast over the years we have covered different jane austen adaptations in film tv books and regency adaptations more recently like mr malcolm's list and bridgerton we still are following this initial goal of covering one adaptation per book. We have also steered into other adaptations and, you know, multiple adaptations of the same book, which is also great because we want to just cover what we like. And there's so many adaptations out there, not only in books, but TV shows, films and everything. So we just always want to make sure we're covering something and have something to say about it. Because from when we started to where we are now, there's way more actually Jane Austen podcasts now than than when we started, which is really great to see. Which also along those lines, we recently joined Izzy of What the Austin for an episode to talk all about persuasion. So if you're interested to hear about our thoughts on the Netflix persuasion adaptation, you can go ahead and check that out on What the Austin. We're really excited to dive into this next adaptation called The Emma Project by Sonali Dave, who will be covering four chapters per episode. We have covered two of her other books in this Rajai family series of Jane Austen retelling. So this is the final installment of that series and all our favorite characters coming together. It's really, it's really a fun time. Favorite and least favorite, if I <laughs> yeah, may be actually, so bold. Very true. <laughs> Yolanda and I were sitting at my kitchen table and we were just sort of like refreshing our memories about what happened in Incense and Sensibility. And I was like, you know something? I didn't care for Nina. I am taking the exact same stance that I had with Anthony Bridgerton when Mm. we were straddling seasons one and two. And I was like, I kind of hated everything he did and all the decisions he made and how he acted in season one. I'm not excited for him to be the hero of season two. And now I, too, am one of the girls on TikTok that just thirsts after Jonathan Bailey TikToks, (laughs) and he's my favorite, and he, they really turned him around. I hope that Sonali can pull a rabbit out of a hat with Nina, because if we want to just dive into previously in this world, which was Incense and Sensibility, Nina had been in a fake relationship with the eldest boy, Yash Rajay, who's been running for governor of California, the whole book series. Mm -hmm. And he finally won, but not without some um, major overhauls and scandal. So she and Yash had been in a fake relationship for 10 years and had done it to get their parents off their back for getting married. Um, She wanted to focus on her foundation that helps women in remote countries build a life for themselves and find independence. Yash wanted to just focus on his politics. You know, things really came to a head at the end when Nina got an offer to get this huge funding for her foundation. 
And it was sort of implied that it came with the strings of her being the first lady of California. So she really wanted to fight for that crown. And she trapped Yush by calling herself his fiance on live television. When Yush was sort of caught making out with India, the love of his life, against a car, she got her hair cut the same way so that she could say it was her. And she said some pretty insensitive things to him about his sexual assault trauma at some point. I'm not Nina's biggest fan at all. I'm glad we reminded ourselves of how awful she is or how much we didn't like her in in Sense and Sensibility because she, it felt like there there was no limit to how far she would go to maintain this fake relationship, to keep her funding, and to really use the Rajay name to advance herself. And granted, like, She's advancing herself, but she's also advancing the lives of so many women across the world. And so it was a tough thing where you're like, wait, she's awful, but she's actually doing this amazing thing and leading this amazing foundation. But at what cost, like personally, to not just yourself, but like the close people around you? Their world is, I mean, it's it's sort of limitless, but it's also kind of a very small, insular world. I mean, this sort of like elite... Indian American families that are all invited to the same parties and and are like form these communities that do all these things for, you know, people in the world and in California. Nina grew up with a brilliant doctor father and we'll learn more about her and her story and her upbringing. But you definitely get the sense when you dive into this that she's always felt like very second place compared to the Rajay kids. I mean, she was she grew up alongside them like she's yeah, she knows absolutely all of them. She's been a part of their circle, but she somehow really feels like an outsider, which hopefully will will really make us see why she did what she did and the decisions that she made in, in Sense and Sensibility. Because she's our heroine. I mean, she's our nightly. Like, yeah. that's something that... So another thing to sort of break down here that's um, really interesting about this is Sonali has always, like, knocked it out of the park in naming these books. Yeah. Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, Recipe for Persuasion, Incense and Sensibility... And Emma's tricky because it's a name, you know? And so we get a real Emma reference in here, except we've got a young man as our handsome, clever, and rich hero. And we do know, like, her full name is Nightlina, which she actually hates being called Nightlina. She prefers Nina. We're starting to get hints of who Nina is outside of this fake relationship, because now that that's completely done, she has to really rebuild her relationships with a lot of people but it feels like with Vonch their relationship was never broken they had like a close friendship but now it feels like it's changing because they are both single so we will see how that develops another thing worth mentioning here is she's 12 years older than him which is like less than the I think 17 year age gap in the book right and he's 26 like if this were like I don't know, an eat, pray, love kind of movie. I'd be like, get after it, Nina. You get your younger man. But because I am staunchly anti-Nina right now, we'll just sort of see how this unravels. They do, I will say, have a very easy relationship and and maybe we should just dive right into chapter one here. We get to meet Von Schrage for the first time. And he is a character, like all the sort of side characters in these books, we've heard about him. I don't know that we've ever really met him. Like, if this is season four of the... Rajay Bridgerton series, he made like barely a guest appearance in (laughs) one episode in each season. So he's the youngest Rajay sibling. He's 26. 
And I think Sonali, again, was so clever here where she really played with the first line of Emma by Jane Austen that goes, Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich, with a comfortable home and happy disposition, seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence and had lived nearly 21 years in the world with very little to distress or vex her. She covers that entire sentence and lets us know that for as privileged as all of the Rajay family and the kids have been, he takes the cake because he's carefree. He's not as like book smart as his siblings, but he just kind of like never went to college, travels around the world, just helping people. People love him. They're drawn to him. Vogue names him like an eligible bachelor. Like he's a catch and he's like, I'm just gonna be me, you know? And he did help with the campaign, but I mean, we know that others helped more. <laughs> and so he's the sibling that doesn't have as much pressure on him. And he gets to travel the world and do all the fun things. Yep. He's also the youngest son of a South Asian family. Yes. So I'm sure he is like quite revered yes. by especially the aunties and his mother in the family. We open at a very fancy party at the Anchorage, the Rajay ancestral home in the Bay Area. You know, he's looking to get away from the party and he runs into his old buddy Nina there, who is also looking to be alone. And they start to just, you know, reconnect when all of a sudden every Rajay couple that we have covered and not covered, because we haven't right. we haven't talked about Pride Prejudice and other flavors, but I have read it. Trisha and DJ, Ashna and Rico, Yush and India. They're coming out of the woodworks just making out with each other. <laughs> like everyone, apparently they've been defiling this pool house for many years. And the thing that we learn about Vanch is when he was 16, he went off to boarding school in India. He left at 16 and has kind of been bouncing around the world since. So like it's been 10 years of his life, like the most formative years of his life, traveling and helping in whatever way he can. And he's just kind of like home for the first time. And I think he doesn't really know what that means to him. Mm -hmm. We kind of get the first hints too of the way that everyone views Nina now. Before she was the fiance of Yush, girlfriend, longtime girlfriend slash fiance. And sure, they were all civil towards her and they got along with her. But now that the jig is up and they don't need to be nice to her, they're not particularly being nice to her. And again, reminder of like all the things she did. We, we understand everyone's perspective of her. We get why they aren't fond of her. But it's interesting now seeing Nina's point of view of this of being like, what? Like I was just following this plan we both had, but I feel like more of this fell on Nina. More fell on her to keep up the charade and more fell on her when it all fell apart. Yush left the situation because he fell in love with someone else. So it's yeah. like he had someone else to turn to and she's still single and she doesn't really have a support system. She's sort of forced to look at Yush so in love with someone else. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't think she had these deep romantic feelings for him, I think for her, there's probably this sense of why her? Like, why did you choose her over me? I think she's like, why couldn't we make it work? Yeah. You know, she was like, I could have kept going, not with the charade, but more of like this arrangement. Like yeah. we could have just been together, done our own things and that's it. Because I think she's just very not in the mind of like, I'm marrying for love or I'm looking for love. She's just been so focused on her goals, work, and the foundation. So yeah. anything else is not as meaningful to her. Yep. So she's just kind of asking Vange, like, what's next? And, you know, for the first time in his life, 
he's like, I, I think I want to stick around here. I don't have a place that I want to go to next. So, yeah. and then chapter two is from Nina's point of view and we really get to see her more and meet her more. And that's where we learn that she is a lifelong friend of the Rajes. Her father is a very brilliant doctor and he's like invented things <laughs> to like save people. They didn't say what, but he's also the worst person in the world, which we'll get to. Her mother is, you know, I think she's like very timid compared to him because she's been expected to be a good Indian housewife and and look after their daughter and raise her. And we really go into what has been expected of her her whole life. Like he didn't get any sons. It was just Nina. There was pressure on her to become a doctor. She sort of thinks about how smug she felt when she told her dad, I'm not taking the MCATs. I'm not even applying to med school. And he felt so weak and helpless. She thinks back to what she calls the basketball incident, which happened when she was 12 years old and she wanted to join the girls basketball team. And he said, no, like that's not what smart kids do. And you're a smart kid. Mom slips her the money, but also becomes the assistant coach. And the girls on the team just love her. And then when her dad finds out about this, we find out that he beat her mother. Like she has a cast on her arm and like her face is swollen. It's really heartbreaking to see this all play out. And I mean, Nina just is not allowed to really ask questions or question like the motivations of her mother of why are you staying in this marriage? It's more of just like, well, this is how things are. And we just have to accept them and move forward. It's interesting because obviously in all Emma adaptations or in the book, we don't get Knightley's perspective of things. And granted, Nina is a different kind of character than the Knightley we know. We still get this insight into what her way of thinking is and her upbringing, which again, different from Knightley, but I feel like it's going to add really important context to the Nina we've known in in Sense and Sensibility and that we kind of grew to hate to now understanding like what was her story? Why does she feel like she needed to go to such lengths to keep what she had. This story broke my heart. I thought it was such a sad story. And I feel like it's a really good example of just how prominent the patriarchy was in her household where like dad ruled and she and her mom just had to do whatever he expected them to do. I'll say this, like where she became really strong is like she, when she grew up and she got her education, she kind of didn't care what her dad wanted her to do anymore. And she thought it was more important to give independence to women in these rural communities. Like they mentioned in Nepal specifically, probably going through exactly what she lived through, but she had the opportunity to educate herself and get out and start this foundation. Ever since Yash dumped her, her father's not speaking to her. Like he wanted the governor of California as his son-in-law. And I think he really sees her relationship with Yush is like her greatest accomplishment. It even says there was a part of her that was happy that he didn't get what he wanted. And for a moment that felt better than the heartbreak that came with getting dunked by Yush. Well, even with her mom, I mean, despite having all these accomplishments and all these great things that she's doing, even for her mom, it's like, but you're not getting married anymore. And like, it feels like her mom could burst into tears at any moment when she looks at Nina. She's like, oh, look at you. You look so beautiful like you could have on your wedding day. (laughs) 
I she's know. like, oh, look at you holding that child. Like, you could have had. And so it's like, ah, like, she can do, like, she as much as she accomplishes, yeah. it's never going to be enough unless she kind of fulfills this idea yeah. that they have of who she should be. And she's never done that. She's never fulfilled what they wanted, which great for her. She's carved her own path and made it all possible. It's tough when her parents just don't recognize it at all. And so they go as far as to go to this party and the dad tells the mom to like wear the biggest jewelry, wear the biggest diamonds that they have to show off. Like we are financially fine. We're stable. We're good. We don't need the Rajes. But it's all still just like, but what if you just try to get back with Yush? What if you just try and see? Yeah. And there's just, there's no way that Yush is going to leave India Dashwood and go back with Nina. Yeah, and I think it's also this thing of we are just as good as the Rajes. Right. Which everyone kind of knows isn't true. Yeah, even Nina is like, we're trying to be on their level. We're not at their level. Her dad really wants the kind of clout that the Rajes have. They're never gonna have that. Their biggest hope was to marry into the Rajay family. And that opportunity was taken from them. And then he says some inappropriate things about India, how it's like a yoga instructor did in a couple months what you couldn't do in 10 years. Oh, that's awful. I hate it so much. And I hate him more than I hate not like, I, like I can see her villain origin story is what yeah. I'm saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. Good point. So in chapter three, we meet Jignash Mehta, aka Jiggy, who is our favorite eccentric billionaire. And he just likes to, he's the head of this company called Omnivore, and it sounds like a giant tech company. And he's starting up a little like nonprofit community part of the business where he's just going to give a ton of money to do-gooders. And then he gets to say, look, I helped build all these clinics for women in Nepal. And he's got the biggest man crush on (laughs) Yash. And sort of by association on Vaunch. And he just thinks he's the coolest guy going all around the world, just helping people. And he just like makes it work. As we recall, Jiggy has just given Nina a ton of money for her foundation. So he's like, in essence, kind of like her boss. Like she can kind of do with the money what she wishes, but like he's the purse, he pulls the strings. The three of them are in a conversation, Vaunch, Nina, and Jiggy. When Jiggy's like, Vaunch, I love you. I'm so upset. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) I love you. I'm obsessed with you. What if I gave you some of Nina's money and you could also do your do-gooder thing. I would love any project you want to work on, I want to fund. Nina's like understandably on fire (laughs) when he says to her like, why don't you just, you and Nina share the money? Because isn't he a billionaire? Can't he give Vaunch his own money? For Nina, she's like, wait, I've had to fight tooth and nail to get any kind of money and maintain this fund to now have it suddenly just split or easily given away to someone of of such power and wealth. She's like, wait, no, I've had to work really hard to get to where I am. And Vaunch is like, I've had to work hard too. And I'm like, you showed up to one party and now you're getting offered millions of dollars to start like a fun project. Not the same. (laughs) I will say from Nina's point of view, I can see how she'd be like, classic Rajes just getting money thrown at them and just getting whatever they want because he's a Rajay. I think she's A, upset at Jiggy for offering a part of her money, which he still says seizes his money. So it's like gray area. I, yeah. I I think if I were a billionaire investor, I wouldn't like offer to give part of someone's money to someone else. But she's also mad at Vonch for not refusing it then and there. Like he doesn't say, what? I could never take her money. She's so amazing and hardworking. He's 
like, yeah, I'll let you know. No, he's like, I have ideas. I have ideas. I have things to do. Yeah. And I think he's also at a point in his life where he is looking for like his next project. <gasps> so this is kind of perfect timing for him. He's like, oh, great. Yeah, I'd love a few million dollars to do whatever I want with like something. So it's good timing for him. So he doesn't see it as a bad thing, of course. But for Nina, yeah, not great to have like your whole foundation turned upside down just on a whim at a party. Vaughn doesn't really have any idea what kind of a project he wants. And so we're still at the party. Yush makes a rousing speech thanking everyone for all their help at the campaign. Couldn't have done it without them. Afterwards, we meet a new character and his name is Hurry, spelled H-A-R-I, as in the beginning of a Harriet Smith situation, Mm -hmm. Hurry. And he is one of Yush's statistics guys from the campaign. Like he's brilliant, good guy. Vaughn's just seen him around. He thinks he's had six glasses of orange juice when actually it's mimosas (laughs) and he has no idea that he's drunk. Yeah. But he's pretty emotional. You know, he's stumbling around and Vonch is the only one who really sees him and really helps him. And he's like, oh my God, you're just as nice as your brother and your brother's the nicest guy in the whole world. Through a couple minutes of conversation with him, we learned that he's basically homeless. Um, He did not make big bucks as a stats guy for the campaign. And now that the campaign is over, his income is about to dry up and he can't afford to live in the Bay Area. He lives in a tent outside. This kind of horrifies Vonch because he's like, oh my gosh, this guy is a great guy. He's educated. He thinks he doesn't drink. So he thinks he doesn't even know he's drunk right now. And he just wants to support his family and and he can't afford to live here. How is this possible? He offers to check him into a hotel and, and help him turn his life around. And he's just kind of like, aha, I think I have my new project. He has part one of a project, right? Because he does also see like, wait, you live in these tents on the street? And then he kind of looks at a bigger picture of like, all these people are living in tents. Like there is such a serious homelessness problem in the Bay Area and all of California. And like kind of his mind starts to spark. Like there's something the beginnings of an idea there and he's gonna follow it so that's an interesting idea and we'll see where he takes it and how far he goes with it the idea though that they have hurry on this campaign who it easily could have gotten out like what someone on yush's campaign is homeless or like they're literally not paid enough to even afford rent that would have been a huge scandal so that's why vonch is also like quickly trying to cover things up and hurry is like but wait like i'll lose my ten and wait I'll like I think he's just worried about causing shame and bringing shame to his family yeah because they think he's come to the States, he's in California, he's working on this big campaign, he's doing great things, but actually he's really struggling and he can't even, like, he's not been able to ask for help. And he, and then like Vonge realizes like, oh yeah, what happens when crime happens in homeless communities? Like they don't go to the police, like things just, bad things just happen. So it sparks an idea and we go to chapter four, which is the next morning. And even though she was at a party late at night, fancy, and there's drinking, she still got up bright and early in the morning, went to work, and she's still royally pissed off at Vonge for not saying no to her money. So she FaceTimes him at noon. When Vonge answers the FaceTime call shirtless, and she's like, ugh, he lives at the gym, he's so hot, (laughs) just woke up hair, like bed hair. Then that's when I realized, oh, that's right, like, we're in a romance novel here. Mm-hmm. It's like this chapter where I'm like, all right, this is our couple. Yeah. These are the two people who are going to come together in this book. 
And it all starts with this FaceTime where she's pissed off at him. So it's like, they're kind of like lifelong friends, but like we've got a little enemy spark going on because she's pissed off at him for taking what's rightfully hers. She basically accuses him of like, you only got this money because you're a Rajay. And yeah. he's like, well, you only got the money because you were engaged to one. So they're both kind of pissed off at each other for thinking the other doesn't really work hard or doesn't deserve the money that they've gotten. But this is sort of my favorite part so far. It's it's a meta moment where <laughs> we hear about the book Emma by Jane Austen in the Emma Project. I feel like this is a thing that always comes up with any adaptation of Jane Austen's work where we're like, does Jane Austen exist in this world? Do her books exist? And in the case of Sonali's books, yes, she does. And they're very much aware of all the characters and all the books. Something that I remember noticing when I was reading Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors is, so the romantic lead for that is DJ. He has a sister who's a brilliant artist who has like cancer in her eyes. Her name is Emma and she's like a very talented artist. And so when I first read that book, I was like, is she our Emma? Mm. Her name is Emma. Right. Is she our Emma? But then, um, so she's mentioned when Nina's like, you know, Emma? And he's like, the artist? And she's like, no, I mean, the book by Jane Austen, like, She's this girl who's like young, beautiful, rich, and because she doesn't need a job, she doesn't have a job, she just has these vanity projects where she ma she does matchmaking and she makes matches between her friends and her people in her community, and it's all just a vanity project. And she's like, that's what you get, you have, you have Emma projects, like it's just vanity, like you don't need to do any of this. He's like, I want to solve homelessness in San Francisco. It's not an Emma project. It's not a bad project. That's kind of how we exit this chapter. We're actually ending with two Emma projects because we have Hurry, who Vonch is going to help out. And we also have this homelessness project that we'll see if he gets, I mean, he's going to be handed the funding for this, but how Vonch is going to envision it and play it out is to be determined. Nina's right. <laughs> he takes on these fun projects and and we'll see how far he actually takes it if he's serious because this is Nina's whole life. Her whole life has been project after project and really working to make it succeed. But has Vonch had to see something through yet? Not completely and not by himself. Well, it's weird because I really don't, we don't know enough about what Vonch does, what he's been doing for the last 10 years to be able to accuse him of anything good or bad because Nina, like she has a nonprofit foundation, but like she started the company. She has a title. She's stayed in the Bay area and like really only travels for work. And she has these specific goals and she's organized and she has all these things. Yeah. And like, I don't even know, like Vonch doesn't have like a job. He doesn't have like a tie. I don't even know if he's ever been paid or ever needed <laughs> to get paid for anything. I don't think he's needed to get paid. I no. think, you know, his family has been super supportive of everything he does. He's like, I guess I just won't go to college. They're like, great. I guess I'll just go travel here. Great. And so he's kind of lived this his own path where he's like, oh, great. Yeah, I can do my own thing too. But it's in a very different way from Nina. I think they run in similar circles, but I think she's like, I have the real company. I put in the real work. Like yeah. I can show you what I've done. What's Vonch done? Ooh, you organized one meeting between <laughs> um, the police captain and Yash when uh, he was running for governor. Like anything else, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I assume he's like helped a lot of people and He's someone who's very personable and I think like good at this stuff. There's just not enough that I like know about his situation. So we'll continue to see how Vonch and Nina continue on this journey. Will they grow closer? 
will they continue to hate each other? They're probably going to grow closer. (laughs) (laughs) I was like jokingly (laughs) shrugging my shoulders like, I don't know. We'll just have to see. Tune in next week where we'll be covering chapters 5 through 8 of The Emma Project by Sonali Dave. You can also buy the book on our bookshop affiliate site where you can also support indie bookstores and us while you're at it. Or check it out at your local library. Keep up with us on social media at The Pemberley and you can reach out to us for any questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. 